here. But we are in the second week of this uh, series that we're going through. What, the, what a lot of people refer to as the Hall of Faith. Um, you know, we understand having the Hall of Fame for football and, and uh, baseball and all of this kind of stuff. Well, this is the, this is the Cooperstown of the people of uh, faith, of the, of the Bible. And when we bust open Hebrews chapter 11 and we begin to look at what it means, we have all of these incredible people from the Old Testament showing us how as New Covenant, New Testament believers to be able to walk with God and trust Him in this area. Last week we talked about Abraham. If you missed that last week, you can get it on the internet and get it on the web. And uh, you can be able to be brought up to date and, and just Abraham's courageousness to be able to live in this world but not of it. He lived in the promised land as a foreigner. The, prom- the, the promise was there. It was real. And, but that he had this thing where he was also at the same time having to live as a foreigner. And we talked about that. Well, here in the Portraits of Faith, this week we're going to look at Noah and what we can learn from the life of faith that Noah lived. Well, just go ahead and bust open your notes. It's there to help keep everybody on track and clicking together. And this is our, this is our thought that we're going to be mulling over every week during this series. And it is faith is simply taking God at his word. And living our lives, trusting that God is trustworthy. This is why knowing God better and trusting him more is so vital. See, we can only live, only live by faith. The Bible tells us, we looked at it last week, that without faith it is impossible to please God. It's not that it's difficult. It's not that, boy, you really got to work at, the, at Route B. It's that without faith it's impossible. Why? And it goes on to finish. Why? Because we have to believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And when we understand that he is and that he wants, he wants to reward us with his presence, with knowledge and wisdom, with, with all the different things that we need for life and godliness. When we understand that, that gets alive in our heart. We, can, we begin to take his word over everything else. And that's what a life of faith is. Well, this is what Noah did. And and we're about to jump in the middle of that in verse 7. But first we have to comprehend that we live by faith all the time. We operate by faith all the time. Lee Francis and I were just visiting this week. You know that he goes to work up there at Shannon and does his, that puts in his time in faith that when that's done, there's going to be a piece of paper waiting for him or this electronic thing slide down some wires and, and hit his bank account and fund it with some stuff that then by faith he's going to be able to go out and exchange for some goods that he's going to be able to then use in his life. And all of that step between taking his talents and putting a bite in his mouth of the food that those talents provided, there are all of these little things that we're placing our trust and our faith in all the time. We do this all the time. We operate based on believing that somebody's word is good. We do it all the time. Even driving down the road, we went out of, week, out of town this weekend and on some West Texas just straight, straight roads. And, uh, of course, we're so thankful that we have the little, uh, the little dotted line down the middle, the little stripe down the middle. Because I'll tell you what, as you're on those straight roads, you see something in the distance. If that little dotted line wasn't there... And you see these headlights headed your way? 
you're just totally convinced it's going to take you out. I mean, you're just totally convinced. The closer it gets, the closer it gets, the more you want to just kind of scoot over. But when you understand that there are some, there's some principles at work and everybody ought to be following them, that that dotted line means something and they're going to stay on their side and I'm going to stay on my side, you have confidence to keep your foot on the gas and your, your, your car in the lane and go and just pass, you know, and, and, and know that it's going to happen. And, uh, you know, and every once in a while we see when these things get, get shaken a little bit. My oldest son, Keenan has turned 16 next month. And uh, the process is going to get his, his license. So we're doing a lot of driving and letting him drive. Well, everything's real good when those, when those lines are there. Of course, in the residential area, there's no lines. They don't go and they'll pop the little white lines down the middle of the residential. It's just, it's just a street. And, uh, you know, people will park on in front of their house on the street. We do it. And uh, so, and, you know, and that's. That's on the other side of the car, and he's still getting good at, you know, judging. So he, he lives, leaves a lot of distance. And so, and what's humorous uh, to see is as he's going along, he's like doing this around the cars. And he's driving like that. Well, it's all fine and good if you're the only car on the road. But then when there's another car coming at you, and they see Keenan go, woo, and now we're going head on, and there are ways down the road. It's not, they're not putting anybody in peril. He does a good job. But they're way down the road. You see them begin to ooch over to their curb. And they're scooting over. I'm like, son, you can't give a whole car width around every car you go around. So well, I don't want to get close. I'm like, well, you're freaking that guy out. Look at him. He's about in that person's yard. You know, he's going to be, you know, grinding on the, uh, on the curb there. You know, let's, let's, let's scoot a little bit over. And so why? Because there's these principles at work and they begin to get violated. It makes us nervous, but we operate by faith all the time. And Noah did it in an incredible, incredible way. And we're able to look at the life of Noah. Let's look at Hebrews 11.7. This is the only verse here in, he- in Hebrews 11 that talks about Noah's life of faith. Abraham, there was a bunch of stuff. Noah, we've got this one nugget, but it is so full. <clears throat> verse 7 says, by faith, Noah... When warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. He is in the hall of faith. He stands out as a, as a patriarch, as an example of faith by what he did right there. Well, what, what did he do? What did he do? Well, let's look at it. First off, by faith, Noah took the warning seriously. Okay? Now, we have the Holy Spirit. We, as believers, we have the Holy Spirit that abides and lives within us. Jesus said he was not going to leave us as orphans. He has sent the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit alive on the inside of us to speak to us, to guide, and to direct us, to be able to point us so that we can choose between life and death, blessing and cursing, and the Holy Spirit's constantly pointing us towards life. Well, part of that pointing towards life also includes this place of warning when death is on the, on the horizon for us, when we're kind of going in the wrong direction. And we have to be people who are willing to listen to the warnings of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit says, hey, whoo, don't go there, don't do that. And every other day of the week, it may be totally fine. Every other time you've ever done it, Holy Spirit's never said a thing about it. It's all good. That day, Holy Spirit says, no. Let's avoid that. Let's not do that today. And you just you don't all of a sudden make a new rule about it. 
Okay, well, now we never do this because the Holy Spirit said it one time. No, but that's living a life guided by the Holy Spirit. Whenever I was a, a lot younger and um, Brandon Moore and I and a few others decided that it was a nice warm day, Sunday afternoon, grabbed the church van and we were going to go and uh, go swimming at the lake. And uh, we wanted to jump into the water, have a great time. And I don't think it's, it's accessible or legal anymore to go and get on the cage at Twin Buttes and go swimming and jumping. But I don't know if it was legal then. I hope it was. We thought it was. We were innocent if it wasn't. And um, so we loaded up a group and we decided we were going to go to the cage and just go swimming. So we go in and no, we did not hit our knees and pray whether or not we should go to the cage. We'd gone to the cage before. We'd gone swimming. All was fine. We load up, get everybody together and uh, college buds, and we go head to the cage. And uh, Angela was with us as well, and I uh, really impressed her with our ability to pay attention to the warnings of the Holy Spirit because we're driving down the highway and get to where the little dirt road where you turn off, and we turn off, and I'm driving. Brandon's sitting shotgun. Everybody else is in the back, and... Uh, all of a sudden, it's, it's, if you haven't experienced it, it's not like there was an audible voice that said, Don't go to the cage! There wasn't, there wasn't anything. There wasn't a little angel that jumped up on the hood. There wasn't any of this. It was just this, this, this presence of the Holy Spirit that just was like, Mm-mm, this is a bad idea. And, uh, and so and at the, it does it to me. And at the same time, Brandon and I both just look over at each other. And we just, we didn't say a word. We could just sense that we just looked at each other. Okay, this was, what's up with this? Well, I don't know if it was curiosity. I don't know if it's like, oh, this isn't a good idea. I wonder why. And uh, it's just youthful stupidity. And I had a whole lot of that. And, um, and so at any rate, we just kind of began to, we began to pray. We, we took it seriously enough to pray, begin to pray. And we began to kind of pray. And we didn't inform anybody in the back or anything. And they can hear God. And, uh, you know, uh, nobody's telling us, turn around, it's doomed. And so we just keep driving. And uh, we're, we're, as we pull in, we're following a Suburban and a Camaro. And we're following them in. And we just keep going and keep going and keep going. And we get almost to the cage and they just stop in the dirt road. They just stop right in front of us. Well, I'm telling you, all of a sudden... People just start piling out of these vehicles. And they have bats and knives and all sorts of weapons. And they're just piling out of this vehicle. And they take off running down towards the water at this vehicle, this El Camino. And it sees them coming. And it just whoosh, it just takes off running down the, down the little shoreline area. And uh, we drive up in the middle of something bad. We don't know what was going on. We don't know what went on. Immediately, we turned around and we left. But we've learned to obey and take seriously some of the warnings of the Holy Spirit. I thank my God for a praying mom that when I wasn't paying attention to the warnings of the Holy Spirit, that she would look at me. Brandon, what's going on here? The Holy Spirit is speaking to me. What's going on with your life? What are you doing in this area? Mom, seriously, give me a hard, quit giving me a hard time. But man, she was right. And man, it helped steer me in the right direction. We, sometimes you have to be willing, like Noah, to take these warnings seriously. See, Matthew 24 tells us 
that as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage right up to the day Noah entered the ark. You know, there wasn't a mass hysteria in Noah's society. People weren't all sitting there, you, you know, you'd turn on the little Noah TV and see, you know, everybody on the channel go, man, the flood's coming, what are we going to do? And Noah's like, hmm, I'm going to build myself an ark. You know, if the, uh, God told me to do that, I'm going to go ahead and do it. No, life was just going on. Life was going on. He's the only guy on the planet building a ginormous boat. He's the only guy. Now, you know, in un- Christian circles, you know, we, we bring up the fact the Bible never says that, that Noah got ridiculed or, t- you know, had a hard time for it. But you know what happened. You know that people said, what are you doing, Noah? What are you doing? And it took him anywhere between 90-something and over 100 years to build this ginormous ship. That, it took his entire effort All of this time, all of his money, all of his resources, all of his strength for decade upon decade upon decade to take this warning seriously. He got up every morning, every morning, and did that for year after year after year. Why? Because he he took God at his word. Life was going on like normal all the way around. Folks, sometimes we're going to be in situations that everybody else is acting like there's no big deal. And I'm not saying about some cataclysmic, you know, worldwide event. I'm talking about sometimes even in your own family. That there will be people that aren't taking things seriously, but the Holy Spirit has given you an assignment to begin to pray or begin to deal with things on, a, on an urgent level. You can't say, well, my, you know, my, my, my spouse isn't doing this. Well, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm just not going to worry about it. No, you have a t- place to, to pray. You have a place to begin to take the, the, the leading of the Holy Spirit seriously. See, Genesis 2 says the Lord, <clears throat> the Lord took the man. Because this is, we're going way back to where we begin to see a pattern in humanity. See, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are to you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. All right, this is a pretty big warning, okay? This is a pretty big one. You know, you've got all of this. Here's this tree. Don't eat it. You're going to die, okay? It's God who says it, you know? He walked with God in the cool of the day. They would have some strolls together. You know, had a relationship with God different than the way we have it now. More like we're going to have it in eternity. And God warns him there. Now we're going to look, jump down to Genesis chapter 3. It says, and now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say? You must not eat from any tree in the garden. I tell you what, anytime we've got, there's a, a promise, anytime there's a warning, anytime the Holy Spirit begins to, to lead us and to speak to us out of His Word, I'm telling you, the enemy is going to come every time and go, Did God really say? Seriously, is that, do we really got to do that? Nobody else is doing this, you know? 
You know, Noah could, nobody else is building a boat. You know, if there was just somebody else on the planet, you know, I can't be the only guy. I'm not that special. You know, I can't be the only guy. No, he had simply took what God said to him seriously. So the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. Immediately contradicts God. Immediately begins, "Mm -mm, no, you're not going to die. It's kind of blown out of proportion. This is, you know, you might stub your toe, but you'll get over it. Um, it, it's, 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 no, you, that's, that's not what's going to happen. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and was desirable for gaining wisdom. Oh no, here's the stuff that John talks about of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's at play right here in the garden. Same stuff, same tricks. It's not changed, folks. It's not changed. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree... Oh, we already read that. Sorry. She also... She took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. And at that point, humanity's course shifts significantly to the point that now we are we need a savior we have shifted from life into death and we need a savior that'll bring us from death into life why because they did not take the warning seriously Noah took it seriously now i'm not here to talk about we always talk about the the blessings and the promises of god and all the the stuff that's there but there's also part of walking with god part of trusting god knowing him better trusting him more is when the word of God says, avoid this, avoid it. It's that, that he's telling the truth. And he's only trying to get something good into our lives. It's always for our good, never for our detriment. 1 Corinthians 4 says, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. It's a normal thing, even in the New Testament, to bring a warning. First Thessalonians 5.14, And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. We have to be willing to sit there and pay attention when God says, mm, cut that out. You go, okay, I will. It's part of living a life of faith. The next thing we see is that Noah's faith was connected, <clears throat> Noah's faith, connect, faith connected his participation to God's salvation. See, God wanted to bring something about. Now you're like, well, why on earth, if God wanted to save Noah and his boys, and Noah's wife and his boys' <clears throat> wives, then why on earth didn't God just go, poof, there's a boat? He, he, he made a whole world. He's done all of these different things. Why didn't he just give them a boat? Why didn't he let them walk on water for the whole, all the whole time? They just stroll on top of it. We know God did some of that. Why did he make them cut down some trees and, 
and go through all of this for all this time to build a boat. Why? Because history, there's always, even in our place of receiving the free gift of love and grace in Christ, there's always a place where our faith has to connect with some piece of participation, not in works, but in saying, yes, God, I will take that. That is mine. He does, he does all, of this, all of this work. You know, Noah did not have to go and round up all of the animals. They came to him. Noah didn't have to do all those pieces. God, God did all of those other parts, but Noah had his place. Our, our place of faith always has some place of participation. It always does. It's not a, faith is not a passive, sit-back thing. Faith is active. Faith moves. It gets stuff done. Again, we're not saved by works. We're saved simply by faith. But that faith will always, always, always produce some sort of, of participation in trusting God. Now, here's the deal. This is why we have to have a no-judging atmosphere here. Why? Because we don't know what level somebody's really stepping forward and trusting God. Maybe the fact that they're believing that they can actually go to church and, and not experience whatever hurt them the last time. Maybe that is this huge step of participation, you know. And the fact that some of the other stuff is still in their lives and they haven't done that part yet. We have to leave room for that, for them to grow. That's why we simply have to hold out the, the ideals of love and truth and, and grace and the idea of, of we're all going to move forward together and leave room for people to move at their pace. We can't look and say, man, you're not, you're not moving, buddy. You're not doing anything. I'm not seeing anything on the outside. Well, so many times it's all happening internal first and then begins to move. But that participation is so, so vital. See, I want to take one little, one little bitty offshoot right here right quick is that here this salvation was coming, all right? Because with the life of Noah, we see this foreshadowing of, of Christ, okay? We see this thing. Now, there was, there was a lot of junk that just God didn't like, okay? There was a lot of junk that's going on. That's why God is hitting the reset button on humanity. He's getting, everybody else dies except for Noah and his boys and their wives. Uh, the, kind of doing a little let's start over here thing. Okay, and this whole time while Noah is building this boat, all of this stuff God hates just keeps going on. People are still doing this. That's why they said during the days of Noah, all their normal life, which was a wicked, evil, messed up life, just keeps going on. And we look at our society so many times and we can watch the news and go, man, why doesn't Jesus just hurry up and come back? This, how much more messed up can this world get? It's just all this is going on. People are so wicked and messed up and all of these different things. Well, here, let's look right quick. Let's look at Noah's grandpa, Methuselah. Okay? Methuselah is the guy who lived the longest in the Bible, 969 years. Okay? This kind of is hard for us to wrap our minds around of them living, but... But pre-flood, life was just different, okay? And if you want to get into the science of it, you can Google it and get all into it. I'm not going to hit that here, okay? But it was just different. It was. And um, they, he literally, it's not figurative, he literally lived 969 years. The longest recorded man to live. Well, you look at his name. You look at his name. And old Pastor Dale Eaton back in our school showed us this. 
that his name Methuselah means that when I die, judgment comes. Or when I die, it shall be sent. Okay? Well, we have all of this timeline from when Adam is created with his sons, and you can lay it all out. Okay? The timeline, and then he beget this, and it allows us to lay out this perfect timeline. Well, Methuselah, whenever he passes, whenever he dies, he dies in the same year the flood happens. There are people who say they, they feel like that he died seven days before the flood and that they gave, and that seven days was allowed for him to be able to mourn. The Bible doesn't say that. That's some theologians extrapolating that. But you can lay out the fact that he died in the same year as the flood. So here, this man whose life was prophetically connected with this, this judgment and this reset button kind of being hit lived longer than anybody else has ever lived. What a gorgeous picture of grace that God of just giving time. I tell you what, every day the sun comes up, every day it is God's patience and his love for humanity. Saying, I'm going to be giving them more time to come to me. I want them to come to me. I want them to come to me. God's patience is to be praised and glorified. I'm telling you, it's, it, we, we have this thing in our hearts as his bride of saying, come Lord Jesus, I'm ready. But this thing of going, I understand that your love says wait. Your grace says wait. Ah, it is so beautiful. It is so awesome. James chapter 2 says, <clears throat> when we're looking at the participation and that our faith is connected with that, it says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But <clears throat> someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. Now here is this, he is... Noah is working on this, this negative thing. It, he is, it says that he is, in, he is in holy fear, is obeying God and doing this thing. Well, so many people say, you know, well, God is, God, is a, God is a God of faith. He's a God of love. That fear is the opposite of faith. Well, it depends on what you're fearing. It depends on what you're fearing. If you're fearing the death and destruction this world has to offer, well, yeah, because God offers an alternative to that. And you're all round up in that, then yeah, it is the opposite of faith in God and the blessings he has. But if there is this holy fear of that, that we need to take this warning seriously, then that is a place of faith. That's a place of knowing God and trusting him and knowing that his word is going to stand. See, let's look at Proverbs <clears throat> chapter 1, verse 7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning, notice this, the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. It's the fear of the Lord. It's, it's understanding. And a lot of people try to say that, look at this, and that it's just this awesomeness and, and this awe. Man, you get back into the roots. It's terror. Okay? It's taking him seriously. Okay? <clears throat> Proverbs 14 says, He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for, <clears throat> and for his children it will be a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. And then Proverbs 19 says, the fear of the Lord leads to life. It was the beginning of wisdom. It leads to life. When, then when one rests content, untouched by trouble. Then we see in Acts chapter 9 that in a New Testament setting, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and it was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. Okay. So now we're going to look at 
1 John. Because remember, fear of the Lord was the beginning. It was the beginning. So where does this thing go? Where does this thing end? Well, let's look at it. John chapter 4. It says, there is no fear in love. None at all. It doesn't qualify it. There's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Folks, here is where, here is how, that this fear of the Lord is a, is a place of faith. But it is not where we want to stay. It is the beginning, but we want to mature into a total and complete place of love and where love pushes out all fear. All fear. Why? Because in that place... That a holy fear of God entertains the idea, is thinking of the idea of disobeying God, knowing that's a bad idea, and therefore wanting to avoid it. True love doesn't even entertain the idea of disobedience. Okay? Any more than a husband going, you know, looking and going, Woo, boy, she's pretty good looking. And going, oh, no, I can't do that. I will lose my wife. There's a place of wisdom there. Yes, but you know what? Perfect love doesn't let his eye wander at all. It puts all that other away. Is that one piece wisdom? Yes, but mature love isn't restrained because he's afraid of losing his wife. Mature love says, I want no one but my wife. Okay, you see that? That's how we grow and we may start in a place of the fear of the Lord, but we mature in a place of perfect love, pushing out all fear. That is a place. That is the type of of faith that we want to walk in. That is where we want to grow into. But Noah had his participation connected with his faith. Then the last thing we want to grab a hold of is by faith Noah saw the salvation of his family. I tell you what, all of us as believers, our heart's desire, our heartbeat ought to be that our relationship with God impact our family. It ought to be. I understand that family are the, could be the toughest people to witness to or to share with. It, they, they know us better. They know our faults. They know our mistakes. They know all of our history. But I tell you what. I tell you what. This idea of having faith that our lives can impact our families is so beautiful. And it's so biblical. That is where God wants to work. He loves to work in and through family. He just does. We were, um, I recently did a wedding for my cousin. It was such a great thing to to, uh, be a part of. And family had got to reconnect. And and I hadn't seen each other in a couple years. We were sitting around the table. And uh, uh, so we're sharing and just talking about the stories. And a bunch of the stories I've shared with y'all. Like my, my uncle's ringing all the chicken's necks. And so killing every chicken in the chicken coop. And they talked about that story and them shooting the arrows straight up in the air and, and doing the thing you've seen grown-ups, the movie Grown-Ups, shoot it straight up and wait for it to come down. Who gets close to it? My uncle and my dad, my uncles did that. And uh, all these crazy stories, their sticker fights, their BB gun fights, my uncle almost killing my dad with a pistol, all these great stories. And, um, and so and as they're sharing and, and, and reminiscing, well, we're sitting there in what you in the fellowship hall of this church that used to be the sanctuary. 
And it immediately, just as, as things begin to go, it begins to drift and t- begin to speak about some of the things of God and, the, and them going to church and how it used to be laid out and going with my grandmother and all of these different things and just this heritage of faith that is there. And, and of course, I'm a pastor, so then soon things begin to talk and begin to, to ask questions, begin to talk about different different pieces of the scripture and different things and things just begin to to take a a little bit of a different vein and it's that family connection that family that family heritage that 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 faith so impacted see we see second timothy one five and that paul is talking to timothy see timothy and he says i've been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives also in you. He saw it in the other two, and he's now convinced it's also there. Those two were solid. Timothy has now shown that it is there in Timothy as well. That heritage of faith was passed on grandmother and mother. It had an impact. It's there. Acts 11 says, The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter, and he will bring a message through which you and your household will be saved. And then we jump on down. Into Acts 16, it says, And then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. This is two different men being talked to, and their households are being talked about. Not just you, you and your household. Why? Because it should be a heart's cry of art that it impacts our family. And then they spoke the word of God, the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house all that hour of the night. The, at, that, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds and then immediately he and all his family were baptized. And the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. I tell you what, as a father, there's just nothing that pleases me more than to just hear it out, flow naturally in the little kid language of my children. You know, just their appreciation and the things of God and then praying for each other and praying for us. And, and it was just so sweet. The, the kids now have their own block. And it's kids safe. It's, 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 it's wonderful. We've been looking for an opportunity to this for them to be able to, to speak. And, and Lyndon gets on her little blog and, and asks people to, to pray for her mommy. Why? Because we're expecting our sixth. And she just wants people to pray for her mama. And so it's just so sweet that she does, does that all on her own. And it is just, ah, there's nothing that blesses more than to see your children living in that place your family living in that place of having a relationship with God. That should be a heart's desire of ours. That was Noah. Noah got to be used in this means of seeing his entire family experience salvation. See, the life that God has for us, it must be lived. 
by trusting that he loves us and that he will do what he says that he will do. That is the life of faith. Taking God at his word and moving boldly with it. Boldly with it. No matter what the culture, no matter whatever, anything else that's going on. This morning, we want to create a quiet moment in here. And I just ask that as we are winding this down, that this morning, if, if for some reason you're not at the right place with God, that you should be. If you need to make, some, make a, a, a commitment today, maybe for the very first time, to choose and receive the salvation that God has given you. It's not based on being good enough. We've, we've already stated that. We can't be good enough. But Jesus was good enough in our stead. And our participation in that is to say, you know what? I take it. You've made it available to me, and I say, hey, that's mine. I'm going to take it. You did it for me, and I say yes. This morning, if that's you, with everybody heads bowed, we just want to make it a quiet moment. If you want to say yes to that this morning, I want you to just raise your hand. And we just want to pray with you. We just want to pray with you. This morning also, while everybody's heads are bowed, I want you to begin now to just uh, to think of your family. You that are young parents, begin to think about those kids. I want you to just begin right now even to just in your, in your, your spirit to begin to see them serving God. Don't try to put the parameters on what that is. But just say, see them saying yes to everything God has for them. Maybe some of you that are, are that are older. Maybe you have kids that are here. Maybe you have kids that aren't. Maybe you have kids that, uh, that need to know God. Don't give up. Don't give up. It's more of a big deal to, to God than it is even to you. You keep standing. You keep praying. You keep doing what you know to do. Trusting that God is pursuing them. And there are those of y'all that have extended family. They may have been put on prayer request this morning. But they're heavy on your heart. We want to just take a quick moment right here. Just together in this place. To just begin to lift up our extended family. We fasted for them during our week of fast. Now we're just going to pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Lord, that it is your desire, Heavenly Father, Lord, that households... Heavenly Father, know you and to serve you. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that, it, Lord, that we can trust you. And sometimes it's not on our timeline. But God, we stand and we don't give up, Heavenly Father, Lord. Lord, do we say use us, Heavenly Father, in whatever capacity you can. Lord, use us, Heavenly Father. Bring others, Heavenly Father, into their lives. God, that will show the love and truth, Heavenly Father. We just thank you now, Heavenly Father. Lord, we even think about those kids, Heavenly Father, in the nursery and in the children's church, Lord. We just look forward to them serving you, Heavenly Father. Lord, taking the truths, Heavenly Father, and Lord, living their lives, Lord, on a higher level than we ever have. God, we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name. If we could just stand up. We're going to be dismissed out of here.